0: Hi, Mel.
1: Hi, Matt. We're back. We're back? We're back. You guys have to let us know if you like the new theme music.
0: Yeah, well, I haven't played it yet. Here we go. This is Matt. Just wanted to pop in and give you a quick programming note about this episode. Uh, This one was recorded quite a while ago. Mel and I are getting back into the swing of recording here, and I just wanted to let you know that this is an older episode that uh, we recorded quite a bit ago, uh, and I'm just getting into the the swing of editing again. So, um, yeah, just uh, bear that in mind as you listen. We've got some new, fresh content coming up. Um, We've got a couple older episodes Uh, Again, like this one that we recorded a while back uh, in in the queue um, that we'll be releasing in the coming weeks. But uh, stay tuned for some fresh content. As always, we still have our website, mysterypodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for for any new cases or episodes or just interesting stories you'd like us to cover on the show, um, drop us us an email there. But uh, other than that, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show.
1: Okay, now do you like it? Do you like the theme music, the new theme music that we curated specifically for you, the theme music for this podcast? I haven't
2: listened
0: to it yet. I bet it's good, Yes, you
1: have. You just forgot about it.
0: Mm, True. (laughs) So, Mel and I have both had some life changes, so sorry for the unplanned break, but now we're back, and it's season two.
1: It is season two, and now Matt's in a new house, and I'm not in a house because I'm poor. But that's fine. Everything's okay. I'm not bitter.
2: I'm only in half a house, to be fair. The other half is...
1: Uninhabitable? Eh, mm,
2: That's a strong way to put it. In any case... (laughs) Hi. Okay.
0: Let's get started. Hi. Uh, So this one's going to be a slightly different... Not format, it's still just a story that I'm reading to you and we're just going to talk about it, but um, it's a little bit different than what we typically do since it's not like about a crime or a case or anything.
2: This is more just about... Ooh. A really,
0: yeah, this is like an interesting person um, who who I've known a lot about for a while, but has been a relatively unknown person outside of his kind of sphere of influence. Um, and a, so, a li- Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. Wait, so is he a mystery? Is that why we're talking about it? He's not been murdered or missing, right? Um,
0: he is missing in a sense that no one knows where he is, but he may not be. That may have been on purpose. We'll see. We won't, because we don't know.
1: Oh, okay. So this is not Tommy Wiseau.
0: This is not Tommy Wiseau, although that would be a good episode. (laughs) Ooh.
1: Okay, well, tell me. I want to hear. Tell me your story.
0: Are you familiar with the name Ettore Marjorana? Absolutely not. Uh, He's an Italian guy. He was born in um, Catania, Italy in August of 1806. Um, So he's very very Italian, as you can probably tell from his name. Um, He had a pretty pretty normal childhood. In 1923, at the age of 17, um, he had a very he he was recognized as a very very gifted child for for most of his life. Um, so at the age of seventeen, he actually traveled to Rome and started studying engineering. Um, five years later, while studying engineering in Rome, he ended up switching his major to physics at the behest of his, at the behest of his friend uh, Emilio Segre. Uh, Emilio Segre, by the way, is another name um, that a lot of people who are big science nerds know about. He ended up winning the Nobel Prize for Physics several several years later in 1959 for his discovery of the antiproton. Um, so these are just uh, he. Oh, oh, by the way, he also discovered technetium, atomic, atomic number forty three, and astentine, atomic number eighty five. Which, by the way, astentine is the rarest naturally occurring element on Earth. Um, it doesn't. So occur- how did
1: he do that?
0: That's a whole other story okay so maybe
1: that'll be like a bonus episode y'all I'm maybe, sorry
0: maybe yeah um but the interesting thing about astatine the the reason that it's the most natural the most rare naturally occurring element on earth is because it has a half-life of eight point one hours
1: oh that's why yep gotta yeah. do it
0: it's it's incredibly rare and emilio Segre later in his career after the events of this story would discover that I only bring that up because i I want to kind of set the groundwork for the, for the caliber of scientists we're talking about here and the, the high level of physics we're talking about. Um So Ettore, okay. it, so uh, when he was um, studying engineering, ended up switching to physics. Um, it, thereby, he discovered not only his gift for theoretical math, but he went on to make some of the most important discoveries in physics in the 1920s. Um, he published his first paper in 1928 as an undergraduate, Uh, which was, uh, I'm a lot of big words here, which was a quantitative application to atomic spectroscopy of Enrico Fermi's statistical model of the atomic structure. Um, in 1931, I'm just going to breeze right past that. Uh, in 1931, (laughs) right. In 1931, he published another paper on auto ionization in the atomic spectra, um, I'm not going to explain either of those things. Uh, I'm just going to point out that at this point, Ettore is age 25. (laughs) Which is shocking. I've done nothing with my life. I realize reading that out loud. Um, uh, His peers and friends... Well, okay.
1: Wait, wait, wait. But, like, part of it, too, is, and I'm guessing, that he came from, like, a decently law family. So, or he had people paying for him so he could just, like, do smart people shit. Whereas... Yes. Most of us today do not have that luxury, so no.
0: and, and you'll notice the name I, I said the name Enrico Fermi. Um Enrico Fermi, uh he was a huge name in in atomic physics and, and yep. still is a huge name in atomic physics. Um most people if you've heard the name Fermi, you've heard about like the Fermi paradox. Um Mm-hmm. Which is a whole thing in the world of sci-fi that has spawned countless stories. But it's it I just want to point out that Atore has that Atore uh Marjorana is twenty-five. Um and at that age, at a pretty young age in his career, him and his friends are making some really strong waves globally in theoretical physics. Um so, like I said, Atore isn't that well known outside of academia and like science history enthusiasts um but he was one right. of the uh Via Panisperna boys which is like i i've heard that name before but reading it out loud is hard um <laughs> the Via Panisperna boys were that's like a uh, Panisperna road i think or Bana, Panisperna way it's like just where they hung out was the street they hung out on which is why they were named this but they were a group of, of basically young physicists who were led by Enrico Fermi um
1: so they're a gang,
0: basically a posse, a, a posse okay. of some of the coolest Scientists, people, I yes. guess. <laughs> yes. um, I don't put a picture of them on the uh, on the sources because they're some cool-looking dudes. They got really high-waisted pants. Um,
1: I love it. Yeah.
0: So the group was formed in Rome in 1929 by um, physicist, minister, senator, and director of the Institute of Physics, Orso Mario Corbino.
1: He has a lot of titles. It doesn't he need must phys- be a busy guy.
0: Yeah, like, but he's a big guy in like the government of, of Italy. Okay. Um, physicist, min- minister, senator, and director of the Institute of Physics. Um, but anyway, from 1929 to 1938, those nine years, the group made several crucial discoveries in physics. In 1932, an experiment by uh, Irene Curie, who was the daughter of Marie Curie, and her husband, yeah. right, uh, showed the existence of an unknown particle that uh, they suggested was simply a new instance of a gamma ray. So Marie Curie's daughter and her husband are doing a lot of experiments at this time, um, early 30s, and they find a new form of what they assume is just radiation released in radioactivity. Now Ettore Majorana comes along, and he looks at their data— and he was the first person uh, to correctly interpret that their experiment did not show a new form of gamma ray but in fact showed a, a new subatomic particle of a neutral charge which would wow, later okay. become be, yeah which would later become to be known as the the neutron which everybody which is huge which is huge like thats this is the first time that the neutron was actually experimentally proven and Ettore Majorana while not being the one to actually perform the experiment was the one who interpreted that data correctly um yeah and
1: that's how jimmy got his name
0: <laughs> yeah exactly Big
1: head. very important stuff guys
0: a big head um so enrico firmi uh while talking about this with etore encouraged him to publish a paper on the matter but he chose not to bother because he didn't think it was important so <laughs> etore wrote it down and just chose not to publish the information Physicist James Chadwick performed an experiment later that same year in 1932, published his work, and was later awarded the Nobel Prize for the discovery of the neutron. Ettore just didn't think it was important, so he didn't. So
1: He had more important things to do.
0: Yeah, so Ettore Majorana is hot shit. Like, he is mm-hmm. cool as a cucumber, and not only is he hot shit, but he's ambivalent about it, which makes him even cooler. Right,
2: like, right.
0: Like I like, just imagine him, like with a leather jacket, just like smoking, doing experiments. Like, yeah, it's so cool to let people know about these.
1: <laughs> right, he's like, uh, yeah, I've yeah. solved the theory to everything, but you know, whatever, man, it's no big deal. Human yeah. existence and all that.
2: Yeah, I mean, if
0: you're like, if you're cool, you'd know too, you
2: know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. So the the most notable discovery, um, which gets a little bit technical here. Um, I'm going to dive into some technicalities of of, of some nuclear physics, and then this is like this is going to be a, a little bit of a bastardization. So don't hate okay. me. I tried to summarize things as best as I could from the perspective of a non physicist. Um, but the the most notable discovery of the via Peranisperna boys um, came in 1934 when they were the first group in the world to discover the phenomenon of slow neutrons. Um, this would later lead to neutron moderation. If you've seen Chernobyl, which is a huge hit recently, um, neutron moderation is a, is a big old buzzword, um, for, for that show. phrase. Ne-
2: right?
0: Yeah. So neutron moderation is basically the creation of slow neutrons by moderation of fast moving neutrons. Um, it's a, it's a key process in nuclear fission, controlled or uncontrolled. Um, so this is kind of like the first big discovery in how we can start and how humanity started to create controlled, fissionable reactions, um, which, you know, we know is very important. Only very, very few number of years after this. Uh, right. Like less than the amount of time the iPod or the iPhone has been around they managed to take this discovery and turn it into many, many things. Um, So in in typical nuclear decay, neutrons are released uh, when an unstable isotope like uranium-235 decays into thorium-231. In doing so, it releases alpha particles, um, it releases neutrons, it releases a bunch of stuff. But um, thorium-231, once that happens, has another exceptionally short half-life of 25.5 hours, like just like super incredibly short, um, and right? That, right, and that decays into beta rays and heat. Now both of those processes create heat, um, which can be used to heat up water to drive a steam turbine, for example, and generate electricity, or can be used more destructively to create runaway situations, like in a nuclear detonation. Um, Uranium two thirty five is just an example of something that's used in fission reactions. Um, mm-hmm. Despite what you make th- what you might think, though, uranium two thirty five is deceptively stable. Remember, thorium two thirty one has a short half life of twenty five point five hours. Uranium two thirty five, being one of the most common fissionable, fissionable isotopes that is in use, um, actually has a half life of seven hundred and three point eight million years. So wow. Right. So it's like way, way, way more stable than, than, than a lot of things that are radioactive. (laughs) Right. Like basically it's almost not that radioactive. Um, but here's an interesting thing of the subatomic world. Once you start to get to like really, really, really small atoms, particles, which move too fast, actually have a lower chance of striking things around them. So Neutrons released from a uranium-235 fission actually move too fast to contact a nearby nuclei, and you need them to contact nearby nuclei because when they eject, they're like a bullet. And if they hit a nearby nucleus, then they can cause that one to fission as well. So if you want, like... A nuclear reactor to continue to release heat and radiation to heat up water to drive a steam turbine, you need it to continue to release radiation and kind of drive that reaction forward. You can't just rely on it happening randomly and naturally like it would over time. Let's say you have a chunk of refined uranium 235. Right, uh, I just
1: happened to have one. I found it in my pocket.
0: Exactly. Um, now, how you get a refined chunk of uranium-235 is its, is its own story, um, which is actually really interesting, which I don't know if there's interest in this. We might, we might do, I might do something on that later because there's some really cool mysteries about, like, espionage mysteries about different companies trying to refine no? uranium.
1: heck yeah. I'm here uh, for it.
0: Right. But anyway, let, so let's say you magically solved all, that, all those problems of engineering and you got a chunk of uranium-235. How do you get the neutrons it's emitting slowly like over its super slow radioactive decay to hit other uranium-235 nuclei and thereby cause them to decay. But how do you do it in a way that isn't too fast, too, and will cause a nuclear explosion, right? It's kind of a hard thing to do. Um, If you can't, your mildly radioactive rock will just stay mildly radioactive and do otherwise nothing useful. So if you need it to decay... And like set off a bomb or drive a nuclear reactor, you need something like what the Via Panosperno boys did within Nico Fermi, including Ettore Marjorana, the subject of our story. Their discovery <laughs> of the slow neutron would eventually lead to neutron moderation and neutron-moderating substances. Um, this would lead the way for controlled nuclear fission. You would This would be used to create the for, world's first nuclear reactors and eventually lead to the creation of the atomic bomb. This is this is kind of like the, the key linchpin discovery that allowed humans to use fissionable material and create chain fission reactions in controlled situations. Um,
1: yeah. So they are hot shit.
0: They're real people, our right. boys. These yeah, our are via boys are, are really t- t- cool dudes. And, and they, you know, you hear a lot about like the Manhattan project and, and a lot about what, um, U.S. scientists did, and obviously like Albert Einstein and, and Enrico Fermi are, are huge names in, in the world of, of physics and solving a lot of these very difficult problems, but there was a lot more people to that. And Ettore is is one of those people that really never gets that much credit because it. I, I think it's clear that he never sought any credit.
1: <laughs> right. He wasn't like, out there, like, you know, repping his name.
0: Right. He, he basically, in, in, throughout the course of his career... He considered his work banal. I mean, he only wrote a total of nine papers throughout his life. In 1933, he moved to Germany on a grant, on a research grant from the the Italian National Research Council um, at Enrico Fermi's request uh, to, to go do some work with some other notable scientists in Germany. Now, 1933, those who are familiar with history will know that um, right as he was arriving in Germany, the Nazis were just rising to power. Um,
1: right, because this is post World War One, and right. so Germany has had some time to recoup after that. Which, like, if anybody knows anything about world history, uh, World War I did not end so well for the German people.
0: No, and and the one of well, there's a lot that goes into it, but the, the one of the reasons that the Nazi Party was able to so successfully rise to power is the promise to make Germany great again, which...
1: Huh, sounds familiar, right?
0: I mean, maybe that's not... I'm, that's my colorful language applied to the situation. <laughs> that's probably not the... You know, they probably didn't... Right. Like, they but probably like, didn't have red fair, hats and stuff, but...
1: To be fair, also at this time, and, you know, talking about our boy, um, Enrico, right? Ettore. You're looking at me like I just said his name wrong.
0: Yeah, it's a Tori.
1: Oh en- no! Cut that mind. out.
0: No, I won't. Anyway.
1: Oh, Atori is a lot of really cool things in the world of science were happening yes. worldwide, but yes. I mean, especially in Germany, a lot of things were popping off scientifically. Yeah. So this they makes were, perfect sense for him to go over there. Right. But also, it's kind of like Danger Ops, right? Because really, Danger Ops.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's. It's
1: going down in Germany.
0: Right. In and Deutschland. Like Atori is a is a you know. White guy from an allied country to Germany. He's fine, but it's, it's a dangerous time.
1: Allied country? He's from Italy, right?
0: Yeah. Vaguely allied. Economically allied at the time, at least. So uh,
1: Right. Things, things happen. We don't need to get into the history yeah. of World War II right now. We don't need to get but into But shit happens, right? Right,
0: right. But at the time, I mean, this is when Germany was also developing, like, there are great presses that would eventually yep. lead the way to, to German aerospace domination in the first half of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is a big, important time for like middle Europe and, and how they're rising to power. Um, so he moved to Germany, he moved to, to Leipzig, um, where he met a man by the name of Walter Heisenberg. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> wow. That name sounds familiar.
0: Right. So, I mean, he, like this guy is, uh, Ettore Marjorana is, is basically making a tour of Europe. He's meeting all of the big names you've ever heard of. In European science, and his name is like just lost to history. Not really, but like right. <laughs> nobody hears well, about him. Well, and that him. guy,
1: that guy makes heroin, right? Yes, Heisenberg.
0: That. Yes, uh, yeah. okay. he makes he he makes crystal heroin in an RV. No, um, so Heisenberg is crystal meth. Yes, yeah, it's crystal meth. Um, but Heisenberg. Walter, I hope
1: that somebody got that out there. I mean, of even though that, I bungled it,
0: Breaking Brad was such a like. It was such a popular show. I hope people got it.
1: Someone does. Okay.
0: Um, But anyway, Walter Heisenberg obviously was, you know, the man behind the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle, which is uh, a thing that like sci-fi and people everywhere completely butcher when they're talking about it. It's like, quantum physics, man. Um, In any case, Ettore, after meeting and working with Walter Heisenberg, considered him to be a warm personal friend as well as an exceptional scientific colleague. These guys were friends. Um, the same year he moved, he published works in Germany regarding, uh, the theory of the nucleus, um, which f- helped to further develop Heisenberg's nuclear theory. So he worked really hard on, on kind of the, the driving force of Heisenberg's nuclear theory. And Heisenberg's nuclear theory was actually the foundation of molecular orbital theory, which is, is one of the, the big driving models behind um, very complex organic chemistries today. Sure. Um, so, I mean, these these are like things that are not, it's not like, you know, E equals MC squared where this is like a, a fact that is like a, a long understood thing from 60 years ago and it's just taught in schools and not really applied because we're kind of past that in the world of physics. These are things that are still actively being studied and taught today. Um, Mm -hmm. which is is really cool. So uh, in the same period, the same year, in 1933, he moved to Copenhagen um, and he worked briefly with Niels Bohr, another Nobel Prize winner. (laughs) Um,
1: Right. So he just like ditched Germany.
0: Yeah, I I, I think it was related to the same research grant, um, but he. Okay, that's fair. Right. But he went and worked with Niels Bohr, um, who is famous for his Bohr model of the atom. The Bohr model of the atom is like the famous orbiting planet model that you see in Basically, all high school textbooks. Everywhere? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's the little dot nucleus followed by, you know, the orbiting orbiting electrons. Um, that was developed by Niels Bohr and is still a, a really useful way to visualize the atom, even though it's not necessarily the most accurate way to visualize it.
1: Right. It's iconic at this point, right?
0: Right. So later in 1933, uh, which same year, by the way, that he left for Germany, uh, he returned to Rome uh, due to some, some unexpected health issues. Um, he suffered from uh, acute gastritis and nervous adjust- exhaustion, and he was um, put on a strict medical diet, and at the time he began to pull away from his family as well. Um, so it sounds
1: th- like our dude is suffering from like anxiety and depression.
0: Yeah, a little bit. That's what I was going to say. Like, his, My interpretation of that is that the food in Germany didn't exactly agree with him, and the, all the travel probably caused some anxiety and depression. Like. You don't necessarily pull away from your friends and family. Well, maybe you do if it's really bad. But, you know, the health issues lead to mental health issues. And I think this is kind of where that seed is kind, kind trying right. to kind of build in, in a Um Especially since after this, from 1933 to 1937, for four years he began to visit the Institute of science less and less. He almost never saw his friends and family and he basically became a hermit at this time and he never left his house. Um, so during this time he still wrote, he, he didn't publish anything. He just wrote about engineering, math, geophysics, um, special relativity and general relativity. um, he basically wrote a ton of papers that were never published and seen by very few. And they, they weren't actually published until relatively recently. Um, one of his friends was an uh, archivist and chose to kind of take up the mantle of keeping all of his works. And they, they weren't published until well after Ettore would have died. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, some, there's some pretty interesting stuff in there. But the point is, he kind of just became a hermit and started writing about a variety of topics. Um so in right. 1937 though, uh he was given the job of uh the professor of theoretical physics at the University of Naples. Um, oh cool. So sick pizza. He's going to get some pizza in Naples. Um so
1: So he sounds kind of like just like backtracking a little bit. Like hearing about him reminds me so much of Howard Hughes.
0: Yeah. Why?
1: You don't know who Howard Hughes is?
0: I mean, I don't know the story. That, I, I don't know why he reminds you of him. I know very little about Howard Hughes. Huh?
1: Okay, so Howard Hughes did just, like, a bunch of shit, but he was mainly known for being a pilot and an engineer. Yeah, And he was, like, super, super rich, and he, like, made more money. Um, And so he dealt with OCD, like, severe OCD. And so he was, like, this extremely brilliant man who was, like, very good at a lot of things he did, but because of his OCD and because he dealt with a lot of chronic pain and, like, going deaf from a plane crash he had been in, like, his behavior became more erratic, but, like, more importantly, he became more and more withdrawn and, like, reclusive from the world. Right. Because of it.
0: Yeah, no, and this might be something similar where he... Ettore traveled basically around Western Europe and travel just didn't agree with him. Um, and obviously he was kind of a, a person that didn't like notoriety to begin with. And potentially just being away from home for a year might have, might have led him into a, a dark place mentally. Um, and it could have been a, you know, a combination of, of the, the health, the health issues that he was suffering as well. So it's, it's kind of sad that just kind of four years of his, contribution to math and science was kind of just like relegated to his writings about, about some random topics and not necessarily dedicated to the the research in a time where research in these areas was really booming and where a mind like his might've really lent a lot to the field. Um, so like I said, 1937, um, this kind of pulled him out of his, uh, out of his hermited state. Um, He was given the position of uh, professor, excuse me, the professor of theoretical physics at the University of Naples. So he's going to go get some pizza. Um, The university appointed him without requiring him to take the necessary exam, which is weird. Like he was basically just like given tenure without any of the qualifications of it um, because of his, quote, high fame, of high fame of singular expertise reached in the field of theoretical physics. Um, it was at Naples where he would publish his last paper, um, which would also be his, oddly, his first paper that he published in Italian. All of his other papers, yeah, all of his other papers were, were published in English. Um, so this would be his first paper that he published in Italian, and it would be on the symmetrical theory of electrons and positrons. Um I don't really know what that theory is, but. Sounds cool. Yeah, totally. So later the same year, Atori uh, predicted um, that in the class of particles known as fermions, there should be particles that are their own antiparticles. Uh, this is the so called margarine, because his name is Atori Margarana. So this is the Margarana fermion. Um, in April 2012, 75 years later, so we're talking like seven years ago, almost exactly to the day, some right. of what he predicted w- related to the Majorana Fermion in this year was verified by a hybrid superconductor semiconductor wire device, um, which has so far apparently helped pave the way for a better understanding of quantum computing technologies. And then kind of a, a, a key linchpin in, in the, the development of quantum computers. And this was something that... Wow. Ettore had predicted should be true 75 years before it was actually verified by experiment. Which is crazy. <laughs> like...
1: That is crazy.
0: Right. These, these, are, these are things that, at high levels of physics and math where you actually need to be an a, a expert in your field in order to even understand what's going on. Um... So, during the same year, uh, his work in 1937, his work extended to neutrino masses. Um, neutrinos are, are uh, actually currently an active field of study, and until very recently, the University of Minnesota um, used mines in northern Minnesota, the Sudan mines, uh, for uh, research in neutrino capture, neutrino speeds, and neutrino masses. So, I don't know, it's very... Marjorana, at least in my opinion, was like way ahead of his time in terms of yeah. theoretical physics and things like this. Um, the the project at the University of Minnesota was actually led by a guy named Marvin Marshak, uh, who was one of my or one of my physics professors when I was at the U, so.
1: Well, I didn't I do any of that in college because that shit's hard.
0: I mean, Marvin Marshak made it fun. He sprayed a sleeping kid with a fire extinguisher once. That was, that was really Yeah, that was pretty funny. So did the kid wake up? He woke up violently. Um,
1: <laughs> violently.
0: <laughs> he was very surprised. Um, it was very funny, though. But the it was the class where he was, like, trying to teach, like... It was, like, a physics 2, so it was pretty simple, but he was basically... Right. He, Marvin Marstach, the professor, who's, like, a short, kind of wide, wide guy, super funny. He gets on a skateboard, and he looks like the person who is, like... It made me scared when he got on that skateboard for his health and safety. And he, like, got on the <laughs> skateboard and he seemed, like, so unsure. And then he holds up a fire extinguisher and blasts himself across the, the classroom. It was pretty fun. In any case. Wow. Yeah, he's a great professor. Um, in any case, I, I, I bring all this up and, and, and say all these things because Ettore Marjorano was, was really a prolific physicist in many ways. Um, he helped pave... The way for technologies and atomic research, flight, modern electronics. A lot of his research is are, 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 are a lot of his fields of research are still active fields of research over 80 years later. Um, now I wrote that last bit a little bit like a eulogy because there's something very important that happens next. And this is kind of the mystery of the episode. Um, oh, okay. You're right. So in, in March of 1938, Ettore traveled from his home in Naples to a city called Palermo. Um, he may have gone to visit his friend, the aforementioned Emilio Segre, who was, you know, the Nobel Prize winner who actually got him into physics in the first place. Um, Segre at this time was a professor at the university in Palermo. Um, now, strangely though, Emilio Segre wasn't in Palermo when Ettore went to visit him. Supposedly, he was actually in California at the time. Um, Supposedly. Supposedly. So on March 25th, um, a little while after uh, Ettore did spend a little bit of time in Palermo, um, Ettore Marjorana purchased a ticket for a boat from Palermo back to his home in Naples, and along the way, he disappeared. He vanished. Um... He had apparently withdrawn all of his money, all of it, from the bank before his initial trip to Palermo. And then on his way home, he just vanished. Uh, On the day of his disappearance, uh, Marjorana sent the following note to Antonio Corelli, the director of the Naples Physics Institute, so it would have been his boss at at the Physics Institute in Naples. Um, Dear Corelli, this is the note he wrote. Dear Corelli, I have made a decision that has become unavoidable. This, there isn't a bit of selfishness in it, but I realize what I'm do. I, I realize, uh, excuse me. I'm going to start over.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Take two. Uh,
0: dear Corelli, I made a decision that has become unavoidable. There isn't a bit of selfishness in it, but I realize what trouble my sudden disappearance will cause you and the students for this as well. I beg your forgiveness, but especially for betraying your trust, the sincere friendship and the sympathy you gave me over these past months. I ask you to remember me to all those times I learned to know and appreciate in your institute, especially Scrouzzi. I don't know who that is. Uh, I will keep fond <laughs> memory. <laughs> I will keep fond memory of all of them at least until eleven p.m. tonight, possibly later too. Signed, E. Marzaren.
1: So wait, did he say that he would remember them until eleven p.m. tonight, possibly later?
0: Yes. That's. Suspiciously, like a suicide note. Right. That's yeah. Um,
1: But why would you need all of your money if you were going to commit suicide?
0: Right. Like, why wouldn't you donate to something or someone? Uh, In any case, he purchased his ticket, sent the telegram, got on the boat, and was never seen again. Do we know
1: he got on the boat?
0: uh, Almost every source I said I I read said that he did, in fact, get on the boat, and. Like, there was no eyewitness testimony, but basically everybody, everything I've read, every article that I read, and even Wikipedia, have kind of framed it around, he got on the boat and didn't get off the boat. So I'm pretty sure he got on the boat, his ticket was stamped. Like, he bought the ticket and immediately got on the boat. So, like, this is weird. This is one of the most prolific minds in physics, sent a really cryptic telegram saying that he might remember things until 11 p.m. tonight and maybe later, and that he's really sorry to everyone. He can't make any
1: promises, right?
0: Right. And then he's just gone.
1: One, well, um, it's weird, too. I guess we haven't talked a lot about his family or his family life, but it's weird that he would send that telegram to his boss. Right. But, and like, not, not say anything to his family? I assume he had living family. Yeah,
0: and I, I assume he did, too. I mean, there's his his family's pretty private because there's, there's not much about them in... in the history books but he did have a normal childhood in italy you know he was he was born and raised yeah. by loving parents presumably and had a family he wasn't an only child so he sent this to his boss and he didn't send it to like any of his other colleagues like enrico fermi or his friend walter heisenberg he just like sent a telegram to his boss he's like hey eh, sorry peace and and that was right, it. Right,
1: like, I guess this is my resignation.
0: <laughs> right. So there's some interesting things to consider there. Um, and there's, there's a lot of theories, and, like, Wikipedia has, a, like, in all things, Wikipedia has a pretty extensive list. And it's a really fun list because, number one, is suicide potential. Okay. I like, mean, that,
1: you know, like, I can understand why you would think that.
0: Right, totally. I mean, mental health issues aside, like, maybe he did just jump off the boat or... Commit suicide in some other way where he would have just vanished. But well, why take out all his money then? Why withdraw right. all his money in and do that? Uh, was he murdered by someone? I don't know. Probably not. Why send a telegram if you're about to be murdered? Um, escaping to become a beggar. This was a cl- what? This, was, this was a theory <laughs> that was posed by somebody for some reason that had no source. But I like it. Um, kidnapping actually kind of seems potentially likely. He was a prolific mind and understood nuclear fission better than most. Um, and it's like, especially around this time, World War II was literally right around the corner. Like, we're talking months but like, from kicking so off. So
1: he knew he was about to get kidnapped, and he was like, oh, wait, you can kidnap me, but I have to, like, you know, tell my boss I'm not or, coming into work tomorrow.
0: Or maybe a nation-state actor sent a telegram on his behalf, and then abducted him. Ooh. Maybe, oh. I don't know. There's no evidence for that. It's just kind of a hokey theory. Um, so... Aliens, Aliens, right. naturally, naturally. Um, so in March 2011, uh, Italian media reported that the Rome's attorney's office had announced an inquiry into the statement made by a witness about meeting with Marjorana in Buenos Aires in the years ah, after Argentina. World War II. Yes, um...
1: Where everybody who fled, because they were part of the Nazi party, went.
0: Yeah, they all went to South America. Argentina first, and then everywhere else from there. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, there, there's actually kind of the, the prevailing theory um, is that Ettore Marjorana chose to just kind of escape away from his life. He bought a ticket got on a boat, and then somehow arranged something in order to get on a different boat and head to south america um okay so uh like i said italian the the Italian media reported on that statement in two thousand eleven <laughs> this is so many years later like right. sixty five years later um which it's kind of interesting but um Later that same year, in 2011, uh, Italian uh, media reported that they analyzed a photograph of a man taken in 1955, um, and they found several similarities with what uh, Marjorano would have looked like in 1955 based on you know artificial aging projections. Um, Rome actually offic- actually released an official statement. Their attorney's office released an official statement in uh, 2015, less, like four years ago, um, that Margerana was alive between 1955 and 1959, living in Valencia, Venezuela. Um, they made this based on the uh, statements of several people from the town about who was living there, and based on um, several... Pictures that they had of Ettore Majorana, um, or of the man who was supposedly Ettore Majorana. Uh, so Rome's attorney's office actually declared the case of the missing physicist officially closed on February 4th,
1: 2015. Whoa, 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 okay. Here's my issue with this, right? Yeah, like, right? so who reported him missing? Who filed a missing persons report for him?
0: He, originally, it was his boss. Okay, so somebody did. Somebody, yeah, somebody did, and nothing was ever found. I mean, literally for 60 years, nothing was ever found about Antonio Madrana and where he went.
1: Except for apparently these people living in middle of nowhere, Venezuela. They're like, oh yeah, he totally lives here.
0: Right. Well, and you have to, you have to remember that um, there's, there's so much that happened like less than a year, two years after... Ettore disappeared, that, like, basically any missing persons report, I I have to imagine would have just gotten lost. There were so many people that were killed just in the nominal fighting of World War II that one missing physicist, like, basically all police activity around a missing physicist would have just ceased at this time.
1: Right. Agreed.
0: So it's, I don't know, it, it might be like... If World War Two hadn't happened, maybe he would have been found in Venezuela living his best life. Right. But considering what a reckless he was, and how he never made a point of of any sort of notoriety, and considering the notoriety that his work after immediately taking a job at the University of Naples was bringing him, I don't think right. it's that unlikely that he would have just like flown the coop and gone to live the the life of of somebody who wasn't a renowned physicist because he just right. didn't like that life.
1: So did these people in Venezuela that were apparently like repping for him, were they like, oh yeah, he died?
0: Yeah, he supposedly died in nineteen fifty
1: nine. So he wasn't that old.
0: No. He would have been fifty three. Wow. Yeah. Um so there's there's if you want to learn more about Atore Majorana, um, I'm I'm just gonna leave some sources in the comments. He had a really interesting yeah. interesting life and a lot of interesting stuff was published about him and his life after the fact um a lot about his contributions to science especially yeah um and there was uh in in two thousand six it marked his you know century basically a, a century since he was born yeah and there was a ton of stuff that um uh, catania and 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 a bunch of cities in Italy kind of published to celebrate the life of of Vittorio Majorana. Um, there's actually a commemorative book of all of his nine official papers um, cool. with commentary and the English translations um, and translations into several languages um, by the Italian Physi- uh, Physical Society. Um, there is also, along with that, a collection of, um, that was published by the Electronic Journal of Theoretical Physics that includes all of the articles that he posted during his time as a hermit and all of the papers he published, and basically everything else. So, um, if anyone has any interest in that, I, I highly recommend checking it out. Marjorana is is one of those people that like you kind of hear about in some really like right. in depth physics textbooks, but otherwise you just don't hear about him. And it's so interesting because he is like he's somebody who made so many different contributions to science. And then just disappeared and never was heard from again. And you just don't hear about it. It's it's kind of weird.
1: Right. I mean, when you think about it, so we have all of these kind of like famous scientists and physicists that we... Like
0: larger you than know, life people.
1: Right. And if one of them disappeared, we would definitely be like, what happened to this person? Where are they? And it would be talked about a lot more. But for him, he just sort of, I think it was kind of like perfect timing almost for him right. if he chose to disappear then. Because, like you said, people became massively preoccupied with a world war, which is fair.
2: Right.
1: Um, so that was kind of like the perfect time for him to leave. And not only that, but South America largely didn't have to worry about like especially inland South America, like not really having to worry about World War Two. So that was right. kind of the perfect time for you know, him to be like, I'm just gonna go live in Venezuela and eat some tasty food and do whatever.
0: No, exactly. Well, and it was, 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 what's, what's another theory that I, that I heard that is basically completely unsubstantiated. um, It was something that I'd read in like a, I'll I'll post the source in in the, on the site, but um, it's kind of like one of those, not the most credible list sites that list, like, biggest mysteries in science. Da, da, da.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but one of the... I actually thought it was pretty interesting because right around the time that he chose to disappear in, um, in, I think it was 1938, yeah, early 1938, right around the time that he chose to disappear was also around the time that certain nation states like Germany and Russia and the U.S. were beginning to... Put nation state resources into physics research, specifically for things like nuclear reactors and atomic bombs,
1: and well, yeah, to like weaponize it, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I mean I mean to to because this is still the you know the the era of purely kinetic warfare, so how can we put the most kinetic energy into warfare? We break the atom, so these are the times that that like the Manhattan project was was being planned and right. and things like you know, dirty bombs and that kind of stuff was was really not so much a theory and more of a desired technical yeah. advancement in the very near future. So there were, like, this is when the U.S. started scouting physicists and U.S. physicists and, and physicists loyal to the U.S. to come in and begin the Manhattan Project. So it's not necessarily out of the realm of possibility that, Ettore was contacted by a nation state whether it be Germany or Italy or someone else to say hey come work for the government and do this incredibly top-secret thing and he was like uh uh-uh, I don't want any part of it <laughs> and just decided to oh, peace yeah. out. That's like I, I that's totally my headcanon and like my own conspiracy theory there's nothing to suggest that that happened but I like it as a theory. It seems it seems like something oh, that's yeah. totally reasonable especially for a scientist of his caliber. And somebody of his caliber that doesn't care about notoriety. Somebody who's clearly capable of keeping secrets just for the sake of it.
1: Right. Well, and he, based on, because I'd never really learned about him before, right? So, like, based on just what you told me now, he doesn't seem like the type of person who would be either super patriotic or super into, like, you know, like. Nationalism,
2: yeah. he wasn't Well, yeah, but of also, like, and, let's,
1: let's use science to create something destructive to weaponize against other humans.
0: Right, right. He's he's in it for the science, I think.
1: Yeah, because he's not like, you know, oh, I want to get really famous and make a bunch of money and all this kind of stuff. Like, he seems like kind of a chill dude, so...
2: <laughs> no, I, yeah.
1: I totally the I mean, vibe. Right, but especially knowing that he withdrew all of his money from the bank before this happened, it really seems to me like, like suicide was not
0: probably necessarily not necessarily the
1: top thing. Yeah.
0: And maybe, maybe he was considering it, especially considering the, you know, I will keep a fond memory of, of you and the Institute and, and
1: right. But also if he's just going to like
0: until 11 PM tonight,
1: <laughs> like right, which is like a really weird thing to say in a really weird way to phrase it. But also maybe he was just a weird guy. Like I don't yeah. know. I haven't read his stuff, so I don't know if that was just kind of like par for the course. He's just kind of a weirdo. Well, and but
0: I, I mean, all of his all of his like uh, articles and stuff are largely in Italian, and I, I, full disclosure, haven't read the translations either. But I've you know read the read the synopsis of a couple of his papers in English, and the the thing about especially scientific papers is they have the personality of the authors drained from them by. Mm-hmm. By virtue of editing and by virtue of, of multiple authors, typically. So, you know, he was one author on one author of many and nine separate papers, which is to say he authored nine papers, but he did it collaboratively, not just him, so.
1: Right. And also there's something maybe said for like the translator.
0: Yeah, exactly. That, you has, know, translating
1: it. Um, but I don't know, like he probably like, OK, let's run with the theory that he purposefully chose to fade into obscurity. Like, he wanted to abandon his identity and live a different life. So taking out all of his money would definitely help with that, right? Because, yep. like, yep. you're going to need money to live wherever it is you're going to live. Mm-hmm. Um, But also to be saying, like, your goodbyes, I, I mean, if you're wanting this to succeed in work, you wouldn't be able to have any contact with any of the people who are part of the life that you're leading.
0: Right. So, like, it seems like... I don't know. It, it seems very, um, I. I it, it seems very on brand is the phrase I'm going to use. Um, it seems very on brand with what we know about his personality that the only thing he would do is send a telegram to his boss, officially resigning. Right.
1: Right. I, it, right. Well, we have to think too that back in that day, it's not. It was not that hard to just show up to a country and be like, "Yeah, I'm just going to live here." They're not going to be like, "What's your social security number? What's your identification?" You like, have they a didn't. Passport?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they had passports at that time, but it was like an actual piece of paper, not a thing that is cross referenced against the database and has an RFID chip in it and right a fraud and, prevention you know, measures like
1: like to bring it up again. Today? If yeah. so many people who were high up in the Nazi regime could just like fuck off to South America and get there and live there. And it wasn't just one or two guys. It was like several people. I mean, it clearly was not that difficult.
0: Yeah. I, I think about that sometimes, like before the internet, how easy it must've been to like disappear or get away with crimes or do anything that required any anonymity at all. We have none of that today. You can't even... cross state lines without like, probably somebody knowing that you've crossed state lines. Google especially.
2: Right? Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, no, I just... I I hope this was was an okay change of format. I just kind of really wanted to highlight some of the work in life of, of a really, in my opinion, interesting scientist who doesn't ever really get a lot of credit because he didn't really seek credit in his life, but at the same time, somebody who, whose professional and personal life ended in a really strange way and people just never talk about It's a
1: mystery, him. and that's part of our show, right? The Mysterious yeah. Missing no, and exactly. Murder.
0: Exactly. So, um, yeah, hopefully everybody liked it. Next week or next, next week, probably not next week, but next episode we'll have a, a return to format, and um, I think we're planning on publishing regularly, too. I don't know if we're ready to commit to any sort of schedule. We've both got a lot going on in our lives that still, the things that caused us to take a break are still present in our lives. Um, so life is is busy, but we uh, hope to get back into a regular publishing schedule soon, even if it's not necessarily as, as regular as it was for the first couple dozen episodes. So. Um, Yeah,
1: and if you like this format, if this is an episode you enjoyed, let us know and we can, you know, share more of this. Um, If you have case suggestions, as always, please send those to us because we're probably far more likely to do the deep work into a case if one of you is like, I really want you to cover this case.
0: Yeah, and you can can leave us us just, yes, please. And you can leave those suggestions at mysterypodcast.com. We have a, a request form there that you can send us any questions or comments. We've heard some feedback from, from a couple of listeners that is is really positive and some, some interesting things from some people that uh, if you are one of those people, I haven't responded to anyone. And I'm sorry, but know that I got it and I'm listening and I care about you.
1: And, <laughs> right. I want you to do well and succeed in life. Yes. And I appreciate you as a human.
2: Yes, very much. So, yeah, that's that. Thanks for
0: listening.
1: Yeah. See you next time, y'all. Peace.